Coming up on Philosophy Talk. Have you ever had to make a decision? I hear the voices, and I read the front page, and I know the speculation, but I'm the decider. You make decisions all the time. Do you do so rationally, or are you predictably irrational? Here's how I make decisions. I chill out, let the inner me decide, and do what it says. Here's how I make decisions. I add things up, think them through calmly, and act. How do you make decisions? I say I listen to all voices, but mine's the final decision. Who makes your decisions? You or the irrational demons within? Wow, he's always wrong. But he sure is decisive. Our guest is Dan Ariely, author of Predictably Irrational. Making Decisions, coming up on Philosophy Talk, after the news. Welcome to Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything. Except your intelligence. I'm John Perry. And I'm Ken Taylor. We're coming to you from the studios of KALW San Francisco. Continuing conversations that began at Philosopher's Corner on the Stanford campus. Today, the irrationality of human decision-making. Speak for yourself, Ken. I make decisions in a perfectly rational way. First, I decide what I want and how much I really want each of those things. Then I survey my options for getting them. I assess the upside benefits and the downside costs of each alternative. Finally, I choose the alternative that really has the greatest upside and the least downside. It's pretty simple to be rational. John, it may be simple for you because you, I guess, are a paragon of rationality when it comes to making decisions. But, you know, most people aren't paragons of rationality like you. In fact, most people are pretty irrational in their decision-making. Well, how very odd. How do these lesser human beings go wrong, and why? (laughs) Well, John, I'm not quite sure why, but they go wrong at nearly every turn that you just mentioned. They're not so good at figuring out what they want, first of all, or how much they want it. Their preferences aren't very stable. They're not very coherent often. And this thing about assessing uh, risk and war, they're really bad at that. You name it, when it comes to decision-making, we humans, we're bad at it. Uh, surely you're exaggerating, Ken. G- give me some evidence to back up these wild claims. Well, let's let's play a little game. Uh, let's call it uh, sellers and choosers, okay? There, there are two lovely mugs here in the studio. They're exactly alike. One of them I'm just going to give to you, and one maybe maybe is for me. The mug I, I'm going to get just give you, it's yours to keep. You can do what you like with it. You can even sell it if you'd like. You're, you're the seller. Okay, so I've got this nice mug. It's very nice. Got a picture of our roving philosophical reporter, Zoe Corneli, on it. I really like it. I bet I'd be willing to sell it for the right price. Okay, you'd be willing to sell it. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to write down the lowest price at which you'd be willing to sell your lovely mug there. Okay, done. Now, what about your mug? Do you get to keep yours, too? Well, it's not really mine yet. I I have to make a choice. I get to choose between the mug and a sum of money. I'm the chooser. How much money? Well... There's a price written on the bottom of the mug. Think of that as the market price. I I don't get to see the market price. What I have to do is I have to write down an amount of money that if I had a choice between that amount of money and the mug, I'd be utterly indifferent. Call that the fair price. I have to write down what I think is a, a fair price. Right? I get the mug, I get to keep the mug, only if the price I write down is higher than the price written on the bottom of the mug, only if my fair price is higher than the market price. Okay, we got identical mugs. Each of our mugs has a price written on the bottom. 
I'm the seller. I've written down the price at which I'd sell my mug. Now you're going to write down the price at which you would buy the mug that isn't really yours yet. Right, so right. what's the big deal? What's that going to show? Well, if you you run this little experiment thousands of times and put people in different roles, sometimes the role of the seller and sometimes the role of the chooser, guess what you find? Guess I, what you find? I'm waiting with bated breath. Well, you find that the sellers place a significantly higher price, like at least twice the price on the mug than the choosers do. You mean if the mug is already mine, I think it's worth a lot more than a similar mug that isn't mine. My price is probably higher than the price you wrote down. Well, exactly. That's called, that, there's a couple different things going on here. There's what they call loss aversion and what they call an endowment effect. People tend to value the things they already have and might lose much more highly than the things they don't have but could get. Uh, you know, I think I've just had an insight into my own life. Uh, my garage is full of stuff that I wouldn't buy at a garage sale. <laughs> right. right. Uh, I guess my wife must be uh, irrational. <laughs> yeah, well, if she tried to sell it at a garage sale, she'd price it at a price that nobody would pay, right? So it looks like uh, those calculations I was talking about, upside benefits and downside costs, are highly skewed when an ordinary person makes them. Uh, it doesn't make any sense. Right, right, because they're, they, they're asymmetric about gains and losses. John, you're, you're catching on. And that's just one tiny little example. There are literally hundreds of experiments that demonstrate that people are massively ir irrational in the way that we make decisions. Luckily for us, we've got one of the world's leading investigators of human irrationality standing by. Dan Ariely, author of the best-selling Predictably Irrational, The Hidden Forces That Shape Our Decisions. And we urge our listeners to choose to call in. The number is 1-800-525-9917. That's 1-800-525-9917. But first, our roving philosophical reporter, Zoe Corneli, gets deeper into this idea of loss aversion. She files this report. Rom Braffman and his brother Ori started with a simple idea. Making a rational decision would mean making a decision that's in one's best interest. And then they asked why we so often make decisions that, well, aren't. The result was the book Sway, the irresistible pull of irrational behavior. The Braffmans discovered humans are not the calculating, rational entities economists have long supposed us to be. Instead, we often make decisions based on emotion and flawed perceptions. The pain associated with a loss is a lot more intense than the equivalent gain that associated with winning something. So when we lose, we feel it two and a half times more intensely than when we win something. So for example, you know, if we went and, you know, there was a certain card game that you went to Vegas and you played and you lost $20. Braffman says you'd be more upset about losing the $20 than you would be pleased about winning the same amount. And part of it is because when we lose money, we start feeling inadequate. We start second-guessing ourselves. We start feeling stupid. Why did I lose that? And what can I do to make up for it? But the irony is that in making up for it, we start taking a lot more risks and putting ourselves at danger and acting even more irrationally and more irrationally. And the bigger the loss, the more irrational decisions we make. So losing that 20 bucks could be the start of a very long night at the card table. Braffman says the current economic crisis is also a result of irrational behavior, specifically the kind that happens in groups. He says people are predisposed to go along with what other people say. Now it's really important in a group to have people who are comfortable speaking up and dissenting. But what happens when you have large companies, it's really difficult for individual employees to rise up and say, I think we're making a bad decision over here. 
He says that's exactly what was going on in the banks who bought up so-called toxic assets. They took on risks that were way too risky. And the reason is that there weren't enough dissenters who stood up and said, wait a minute, this is something that we shouldn't be doing. And it's not that the bankers didn't know what they were getting themselves into. If they would have looked at the data, they would have said, look, we're taking too much risk here. But it's really difficult when you're in, surrounded by, by people who are like, yeah, 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 and you have too many cheerleaders on the team. It's really difficult to be the person who can be dissenting. He says naysayers aren't necessarily smarter than everybody else, but they do provide something critical to making good decisions, an outside perspective. We talked to Justice Stephen Breyer from the Supreme Court, and he said that the process of dissent is so important on the court because what happens is when the justices are able to hear each other out and disagree with one another, in a way it's a pain in the neck because they have to take all the different perspectives and points of views and integrate them into the opinion, but the opinion comes out a lot better as a result. The book Sway argues making good decisions often means fighting our deep-seated desire to be certain about things, to trust our intuitions and first impressions. That's basically the opposite of the findings in Malcolm Gladwell's popular book Blink, which claims humans are surprisingly good at making decisions fast and with very little information. Ron Brathman says quick decision-making can be useful in some cases. But when it comes to really complicated decisions, when it comes to really life-changing decisions, we don't want to do that. I don't want to propose to somebody and ask them to marry me because I had a blink moment that I really loved them. Um, I don't want to sell all my um, 401k stock portfolio because I had a blink moment that um, the market is going to go down. So, while you never get a second chance to make a first impression, you might want to start taking your second impressions more seriously. For Philosophy Talk, I'm Zoe Corneli. Want to hear more? You can find the complete episode on iTunes Music, or for unlimited listening, become a subscriber at philosophytalk.org.